0: The Delphi suspect is in protective custody. The judge recuses himself, and then there's a weird twist. Lori Vallow and Chad DeBell, some more discovery, more delay. Nicholas Cruz, yeah, his attorney thought that was real funny until she got the grievance. Alex Murdoch gets his own HBO show, an example of why you never hit a woman. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich. This is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Hit that little bell for notifications. And remember, you can always listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Before we get to the news of the day, let me tell you about the people that support us. If you have someone that you would like to check out, if someone is not giving you that warm, fuzzy feeling, or if they're simply someone you just maybe want to welcome into your life, but you're not sure if you can trust them, then go to crimetalksearch.com where you can sign up for a background subscription service. And when you have that service, you can conduct as many background checks as you would like, and you can cancel at any time. But when you have that subscription and you type in that name, Literally, a background check is being conducted while you wait. The results are going to be emailed to you, and you can have it in your possession. And it's going to have information as to whether somebody is married, divorced, where they live, do they have a criminal history, are they required to register for some list somewhere, things you want to know. Go to crimetalksearch.com. You'll be happy you did. All right. Let's go ahead and open the docket for November 4th of 2022. All right. The Carroll County Circuit Judge Benjamin Diner recused himself from the Delphi murder case shortly after announcing that the accused killer, Richard Allen, would be transferred to an undisclosed state facility for his own protection, aka protective custody. Yes, the court apparently finds that the defendant is in imminent danger of serious bodily injury or death or represents a substantial threat to the safety of others, the judge's order concluded, and due to a toxic and harmful insistence on public information about the defendant's and this particular case. The court said, quote, The public's bloodlust for information before it exists is extremely dangerous. Hmm apparently all public servants administering this action do not feel safe and are not protected huh well that's interesting isn't it you're a judge you should probably say you don't have to under indiana law apparently why you want to recuse yourself but why not and it goes back to why is everything being sealed these days on cases what they think are some big news item i mean i hate to say it but yes it's interesting but these cases happen every single day, but somehow when the news gets into their cycle that uh, we can't uh, have the information, which only makes people want the information more because people think that you're hiding something. All right, so people who aren't familiar with it, Indiana law enforcement announced Monday the arrest of uh, Mr. Allen, who has been charged with uh, two counts of murder in connection with the 2017 death of Abby Williams and Libby German. Now, police found the bodies of these young ladies back on February of 2017 near the abandoned Monon High Bridge in Delphi after they took an afternoon hike the previous day. So the Indiana Supreme Court, in regards to the recusal issue, said that uh, trial judges are allowed to recuse themselves for a variety of reasons, although the judge does not have to explain why they're recusing himself? Obviously, in most situations, if there's some appearance of impropriety or the judge just thinks, I can't be fair and impartial in this particular case, he has a duty to recuse himself, so be it. It's also reported that the Indiana Supreme Court is set to appoint uh, Allen County Judge Fran Gull as a special judge to sit on this particular case. Now, meanwhile, hearing is still scheduled for November 22nd to determine if probable cause that was presented in the affidavit uh, exists and also to determine whether it shall remain sealed. We will have to wait and see. So where the twist comes in is that apparently Mr. Klein, while in custody, has been cooperating with the Indiana State Police in regards to their investigation, and he's obviously trying to cut a deal in his own case to reduce any charges that he may face. Now, the question becomes, how does he know Mr. Allen, the you know CVS pharmacist who's been charged in this double homicide? Well, officers insisting that the case was still active and they're leaving the door open for other charges. And six days after prosecutors filed a motion asking the court to dismiss five of the 30 charges for which client is due to stand trial in January, Mr. Allen was arrested. Coincidence? I've told you before, ladies and gentlemen, Um, there are no coincidences in uh, politics or in criminal defense. The details, obviously, of what led the police to Mr. Allen's doorstep, just five miles from where the girls went missing, is unclear because everything is sealed. Was it the wife? Was it this guy? Who knows? An unusual situation indeed, but hopefully that will all come to light at that hearing on November 22nd. Now, one of the reasons for the uh, Ceiling may be that the probable cause affidavit names one or more suspects that have not been charged. That's clearly a possibility. We just don't know. But Mr. Klein, who is obviously uh, in custody, was temporarily released into the custody of the Indiana State Police the same day that the officers began a five week search in the Wabash River. Now, meanwhile, there's a transcript of Klein's 2020 police interview. And the law enforcement in that interview never suspected Klein of being the bridge guy, you know, the guy in the video walking. That uh, footage uh, retrieved from uh, Libby's phone uh, were convinced that he was protecting the uh, true killer's identity. So the transcript shows that when Klein denied knowing who killed the girls, well, they put him on a polygraph test. Apparently he didn't fare so well. And then material collected from Uh, multiple devices owned by Mr. Klein and seized by police in February 2020, apparently sparked one of the largest um, investigations regarding images related to minor girls in the uh, Indiana state history. Now, investigators accused him of grooming multiple underage girls, some as young as seven, using a fake social media account and usernames across platforms that included Snapchat, Kike, Instagram and Meet Me. While the girls believe they were conversing with teenage girls, Emily Ann or hunky actor and model Anthony Schatz, they were in fact exchanging intimate details and pictures with the acne-pocked pedophile who Cops alleged not only gratified himself sexually but acted as a conduit for other uh, pedophiles to interact with the girls whom he was grooming. Now, by the time Klein, who lived with his father, a guy by the name of Jerry Klein in Peru, Indiana, which is roughly 37 miles from Delphi, sat down uh, for the August 2020 interview, he had already flunked a polygraph test in which he had asked if he knew who the Delphi killer was. Now, the officers interviewing Klein were identified as Detective Vito and Deputy Clinton. Now, key to their line of questioning was the certainty that at least one other user had access to Klein's fake account and therefore a direct line to the girls. Now, Klein estimated he had communicated with more than 200 of these girls. One of them obviously was Libby German. Now, Klein had lied to the detectives earlier in the interview, claiming to have only messaged Libby on one occasion for a couple of hours and stated he never exchanged photos with her. Then in August, officers confronted him with the fact that they knew that Anthony Schatz had messaged with Libby across several weeks, uh, offering to buy her gifts and sending her pictures of himself and what he claimed was his Ferrari. Now, Vito pulled out specific messages in a bid to jog Klein's memory, including one where he asked, is it bad that I'm super into you? According to Vito, Schatz had messaged with Libby during the sleepover she had with Abby ahead of their final days. In fact, he was one of the last people she communicated with on the morning that she and her friend went missing. Now, investigators told Mr. Klein they did not believe that he was the only one who messaged Libby under the guise of this Shots identifying name. According to Detective Vito, on February 13th at about eight o'clock in the morning, Two separate devices logged in and logged out, all within minutes of each other, to the same Anthony Schatz Snapchat Snapchat account. Detective Vito then drew Klein's attention to subsequent messages exchanged between the Anthony Schatz account and a friend of Libby's. The conversation began with the friend asking Schatz if he had heard about Libby and Abby. Schatz responded, oh my God, what happened? do you know? Then stated, yeah, they were supposed to meet, but they never showed up. Klein reacted violently, apparently, to this information, claiming that he'd never sent any such message, describing that as an effing lie and accusing Vito of implying that he had done something to the girls. Vito responded, I can honestly sit here and I'm telling you, I do not believe that you did anything to Libby and Abby, but you need to tell me who was logging into these accounts. During the course of the interview, Vito asked Klein who had access to the Anthony Schatz account dozens of times, and Klein repeatedly claimed not to remember details, not to know or what uh, recall any information about who had access to that. As the detective continued to interrogate him, he stated, so you're the one that talked to her all weekend, and you're the one of the last people to talk to her before she was murdered? That's what you're telling me? So, You were trying to get these images from Libby. Klein responded that he was trying to do that with all the girls that he was messaging. Detective Vito responded, the other ones are dead. She's dead. It is quickly apparent that neither Vito nor Clinton believed Klein's assertion that he sent all the messages attributed to this Anthony Schatz across the last weekend of Libby's life. Instead, they theorized that he had established the person to groom her and then allowed another man to enter the scene. Vito went on and said, so now we're worried about grooming. We have a guy that has a trove of child images on his devices. We have Liberty being groomed. And unfortunately, she was completely enthralled with this Anthony Schatz guy, like she is completely in love with this guy. Vito pointed out that when Klein claimed to have stopped messaging Libby two weeks before her death, his polygraph test showed he was being truthful. He said, the day that you had a polygraph test, you were steadfast, you never uh, came off. I never spoke to Libby before February, first or second. The guy says, look, we know you spoke with her the day she was murdered. You said, absolutely not. I blocked her. She was annoying me. But we have the grooming pictures. We have the KIK messages, kick uh, with my daddy references. Regardless of what you say there, are two different authors. They're not you. They're phrased differently. It changes. It's not the same person. So investigators also noted that all of Klein's multiple devices had their histories intact when they were seized, except for the one containing Libby's conversations with this Anthony Schatz. Vito laid that out. So during the time frame where this grooming would have been built up to meeting the Girl, the history's gone. It's wiped from your phone. So now it all starts to stack. The complexity of your Anthony Schatz persona, the cars, the influence of Lamborghinis and Ferraris, it's not you, it's not your idea. You and I both know that's not your idea. The complexity of it, okay, it's just not you. So under pressure, Klein told officers, I swear I don't know anything, to which Vito responded, yes, you do. Deputy Clinton then interjected, I just can't wrap my head around why you're willing to put all of this on you. Why are you protecting somebody else? Klein clearly rattled, said, you think I know who killed them? They responded, absolutely. Klein said, nope, I just don't understand why you're protecting the person. Was it simply that Libby just said, hey, I'm going to be at the high bridge, and you told somebody? Ultimately, the interview ended, with Klein maintaining that he didn't know anything about what happened to the girls. But as his own case uh, got a little closer, he might have had a little reflection. Uh, So before leaving the room, the detective told Klein, you need to sit here and you need to start remembering more because this is important. When asked about the possible role of Klein's cooperation in Mr. Allen's arrest, his lawyer, a uh, public defender, simply responded, Respectfully, I can't comment. I can't talk about that. All right, more twists. We'll see where this comes, goes. I don't know where, what, where it's coming from. I don't know. We're gonna have to wait and see. You've seen the pictures, the videos. It's going to be interesting. Clearly, it's not super easy. Otherwise, it wouldn't have taken six years to resolve the case for, to charge the case, right? All right. Next on the docket, Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell. Some DNA testing is being turned over as it relates to specific items of testing. This goes back to the whole issue as it relates to uh, Chad Bell. You need to have expert witnesses. What's interesting about this disclosure was it was a private laboratory conducting DNA samples of items that were already collected and apparently tested by the Idaho Crime Lab very, very interesting indeed. And then November 9th, which is uh, next Wednesday, there is a telephonic status conference as it relates to Lori Vallow's competency. It's not being conducted in person, and as far as we know, she is at the state mental health hospital. So my guess is, and it's a guess, so take it for what it's worth, I don't think that she'll be joining us anytime soon. Hopefully I am wrong. We want her to be restored, get well, etc., cetera, so that we can then prosecute her, correct? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Like I said, these mental health professionals that work at the state health department, they've seen malingering, they can identify it. So if that's the case, then they will obviously ferret that out. We'll keep you updated. Next on the docket, yeah, it's all fun and games until you get caught on video. That's right. Tamara Curtis, who is one of Nicholas's Cruz defense counsel, apparently is being investigated due to an inquiry based upon her behavior in court. A Florida bar spokesperson revealed a day after Mr. Cruz was sentenced to life in prison and obviously avoided the death penalty as a result of him um, killing 17 people and injuring 17 more at the uh, Marjorie Stoneman uh, Douglas High School uh, back in 2018. In the video, take a look at it. Curtis can be seen first a spot in the camera set up at a point uh, to a colleague beside her. Then Miss Curtis, her colleague, and Cruz appear to discuss this camera before Curtis waves without looking at it. She then decides to press her middle finger up against her face seemingly as a joke and she laughs with Mr. Cruz. Her colleague appears to be uh, not so amused and moves away, kind of moves on awkwardly. Well, the Broward County Circuit judge um, referenced the defense team's behavior after the defense team accused the victim's family of personally attacking them. Uh, The defense counsel stated, I did my job and every member of this team did our job and we should not be personally attacked for that. And that was by a Cruz's chief uh, public defender, Melissa McNeil. The comment irked the judge so much that she eventually exploded the defense. He says, and she said, quote, "'When these people are upset about specific things that have gone on from that table, like shooting the middle finger up at this court and laughing and joking, when these people have sat in the courtroom and watched this behavior from that table and they want to say that they're not happy about it, what's the problem?' she asked. So let's be realistic here. Completely unprofessional conduct in court. These attorneys should have behaved better. They're professionals, for God's sake. You, They did their job. They got the result their client wanted. They got the result they wanted. They shouldn't have done anything whatsoever. They should have just taken it instead of making a mockery of it. Is this going to result in this attorney being disbarred? Pretty unlikely. Clearly, it's unprofessional conduct, something you expect higher levels of conduct from, but sometimes you get people caught in the heat of the moment. Not going to excuse it. It's wrong. Uh, She's probably going to get some sort of written admonishment from the bar. Let's face it. We've said this before. You're a criminal defense attorney. You got to have thick skin. Bottom line, in this particular situation, they were the most hated person in the courtroom for representing the despised and the damned. In this particular case, Mr. Cruz, he's probably number two in this particular case. Let's face it, it comes with the job and you have to do it better and cleaner so that's not the issue. Now what's really interesting is, I'd really like to know who submitted that bar complaint. Was it a family member or the judge? Next, Alex Murdoch gets his own HBO show. That's right. The case that I have been saying is a super interesting case since The first boating accident that took place several years ago? That's right. HBO is now doing a show about the Murdochs. And so HBO Max has uh, apparently started a bit of a uh, brouhaha because of an apparent unauthorized use of materials which were placed under seal by a judge. Now, the documentary entitled Low Country, The Murdoch Dynasty, contains materials which were sealed in connection with a high-profile wrongful death case filed by the family of the late Mallory Beach. Among the materials, surveillance footage from the Beaufort Memorial Hospital recorded in the aftermath of the 2019 boat crash in which Mr. Murdoch's family um, was kind of burst onto the national scene. The footage is also reportedly tied to an ongoing statewide grand jury investigation into obstruction of justice allegations against several members of the once powerful uh, Murdoch family. And so for a quick recap for people who are not familiar with this story, in the early morning hours of February 24th of 2019, uh, Mallory Beach was thrown from a 17-foot center console sea hut fishing boat allegedly piloted by Paul Murdoch, Alec Murdoch's son. The boat slammed into a piling near the Archer's Creek Bridge just outside of Paris Island, South Carolina, you know, where they trained Marines. Mr. Murdoch and others on the boat were intoxicated. Some of the alcohol, which allegedly contributed to Murdoch's severe intoxication, was purchased at an establishment called Parker's Kitchen. It's a convenience store in Ridgeland, South Carolina. Paul Murdoch used a South Carolina driver's license belonging to his older brother, Buster Murdoch to buy the booze. Seconds before the boat crashed, apparently GPS data obtained by the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources indicated that the boat was traveling at approximately 29 miles per hour. Miss Beach was flung into the cold waters upon the boat's impact. Her body was discovered a week later by a fisherman. Now the boat, allegedly driven by Paul at the time of the crash, belonged to none other than Alex Murdoch, Who stands accused of killing? Well, that's what his son Paul and his wife Maggie back on June 7th of 2021, and these murders were allegedly committed just three days before Alex Murdoch was scheduled to appear in court to answer for his failure to turn over financial records to the Beach family in regards to the wrongful death case. Now, Paul Murdoch was charged with three counts of boating under the influence. Uh, by the office of the South Carolina Attorney General. He was murdered before he could stand trial, so all charges were dismissed. So both Alex Murdoch and his father were at the hospital on the evening of the crash. And according to sources familiar with the surveillance video, it depicts Alec Murdoch's movements within the hospital, including footage of him entering and exiting the rooms of the boat crash passengers several nurses also observed a cold and detached murdoch moving from room to room telling the charge nurse i'm responsible for all of these kids well and they smelled alcohol on his breath and told security to keep an eye on him because he was trying to enter other patients rooms well guess what it turns out that the attorney who actually released the video that was subject to the protection order is an attorney by the name of joe mcculloch Who is representing Connor Cook, one of the individuals that was in the boating accident. He actually had his jaw broken. And um, this letter basically says, oops, I screwed up. I shouldn't have let it go. I did. I didn't realize it was subject to the protection order. And I'm ready to stand before the court to take my lumps. That's the gist of it. Can you say, call the malpractice carrier and um, tell them that you want to report a claim? That's where that one's going. Next on the docket, this is why you never hit a woman. A Minnesota man is accused of killing his daughter's boyfriend after he suspected that she was abused. Now, according to uh, affidavits for arrest warrant, Michael LaFlex was charged with second degree murder in the death of 23-year-old Bryce Brogel. Now, Brogel was reported missing after going to LaFlex's storage unit on October 26th. And the criminal complaint states that LaFlex did terrible things to Mr. Brogel in the back of his head with something that goes bang, and then buried the body. Now the daughter reported Brogel missing on October 28th and told police that she hadn't seen him since he went to the storage unit with, his fa- with her father. And then when investigators issued a search warrant at the storage unit on October 29th, they found the presence of blood and bleach on the concrete floor and what they believed to be signs that something was dragged across the floor. Who could that have been? Mr. Brogel, perhaps? Well, com- police conducted a foot search of the public land on October 30th, and guess what they found? A gravesite. After excavating the gravesite, police said that they found a body with an apparent wound in the back of the head. An autopsy determined that the body was in fact Mr. Brogel and that he died of a distant gunshot wound to the back of the head. According to the affidavit, the landlord, where Brogel and his girlfriend lived, called the sheriff's office saying that LaFlex asked them if Brogel had hurt his daughter. The landlord said his daughter had been found with two black eyes, and the father then said he was going to kill Brogel, and he'd already dug a hole. Apparently, he had. Now, hadn't he? Not sure why it's second degree murder, not first degree murder, but hey, you know, what can you do? Um, Can't say I wouldn't necessarily do the same thing if somebody was doing that to my daughter. That's for certain. I just don't think I would tell the world about it. Oh, I guess I just did. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Next on the docket, our dumb criminal of the day. Please meet Julia Franklin. She's been charged with battery on law enforcement officers and carrying a concealed firearm. Apparently, Ms. Franklin was spotted around midnight, driving 71 in a 50-mile-per-hour zone. After slamming on her brakes while passing a deputy's patrol car, the deputies were you know, kind of bound to uh, pull her over for a traffic stop. Deputies discovered her driver's license was suspended. How shocking. Miss Franklin also had an outstanding warrant. You know where things are going here. As the deputies ordered her to get out of the vehicle, Miss Franklin resisted and attempted to escape. Ms. Franklin then bit a deputy on the deputy's ring finger during the struggle and a Franklin's bite broke the deputy's skin and the finger even started bleeding. That is a felony in just about every jurisdiction I know of, ladies and gentlemen. I had a case once where my client was resisting and the deputy cut himself on his own handcuffs during the struggle, had to get a Band-Aid, but it was charged as a felony assault on a peace officer because you can't go around assaulting police. Deputies found a firearm inside of Miss Franklin's purse and Franklin didn't have a license to carry the firearm. So things just went bad to worse. Just shows you, ladies and gentlemen, poor driving. It is a gateway crime. Okay. Um, Way back when I used to always take traffic cases and people say, why are you still taking traffic cases? I said, you know what? If these people aren't going to follow the traffic laws, they're not going to follow any other law. And I had so many clients, little traffic case. Next thing you know, we're working our way up all the way to big time and they're getting charged with murder. Traffic, ladies and gentlemen, remember that. All right, thanks for watching. Have a wonderful day. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.